Hello, everyone. Welcome to Get Out of Rap. It's episode 80. And today I'm joined by Brucine Francis. Brucine is um, a recruitment director with the customer contact industry. You must have seen her posts and um, her presence on LinkedIn and is also diversity and inclusion team lead um, and owner and founder of BA Francis Consulting. Brucine, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to it. It's um, it's it's an overdue. I think I've I've always sort of spotted you in our industry, predominantly around um, recruitment. I always thought you'd be great to come on the podcast. I'm really glad we're able to um, to do it. As is always the way. Let me just start by um, asking you, how did you get to where you are um, today? What's your kind of backstory? So in, interestingly, I never studied to become a recruiter. I don't think anybody ever does. Um, I actually studied because I wanted to get into marketing for traveling tourism, worked really hard at it, then realized there was actually no money in it at all, was working part time for Vodafone. And so interestingly enough, I then thought, well, I like earning money. Let me just continue on the Vodafone path until I decide what it is that I want to do. Uh, went off on maternity leave, uh, had my daughter and realized there's no way I can go back into retail. And Vodafone's head office was too far for me to commute to. So an agency rang me up and said, oh, have you ever worked in a call center? I was like, what's a call center? I've never even heard of it. Like, what is it? So I did a bit of like research quickly, then phoned her back saying, oh, funny enough, yes, actually. So it was a bit of a white lie. So when I worked <laughs> for Vodafone um, and somebody who's actually still in our, in in our industry, actually, um, he um, used to be kind of like the head of technical support. And I used to ring him to ask him technical queries. So he'd answer my questions. So as far as I'm concerned, Yes, I've got experience of working in a call yeah. centre. So fell into it and I worked for the first ever recruitment business that was set up to recruit for call centres, which was really? a company called CCP, which is contacts, so, sorry, call centre people, getting confused with the other business that's <laughs> named similarly now. Um, so the first ever business that was there and I was really intrigued. I was like, gosh, what is this about? So had never been in recruitment. So my first role was a telephone interviewer. So I literally worked for large blue chip companies. And my role was to interview candidates who responded to adverts in the newspaper, which that shows my age because that was such a long time ago. And um, literally all I would do is interview people. And it was all right. It brought in the money. It was never kind of my passion. But then the opportunity arose for the business to grow. And they decided, well, why don't we utilize the candidates that we have? And actually step into contingent recruitment so that's how I became a recruiter and um, I'd never been a recruiter either because again my background was retail so um, had to kind of learn on the go but then Steve Usher who I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with um, he joined the business and he was my mentor in the business and without Steve I would never have been a successful recruiter because the, the, biz, the business wasn't set up to coach and train people. It was like you win or you lose. It was kind of that approach, but in a positive way. So learn about call centers, learn about recruitment. And my career just kind of flourished from there. But what I found was that, and I can even tell you, there are people who I met back in 1997. I am actually still in contact with now. And I probably placed them as an agent team leader right through the ranks. So that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, you know, some of my best friends are actually from the call center industry. Without this world, I would say, I wouldn't have some of the friendship circles that I have. And I, I can just, I'm truly grateful for them as well because I've learned so much from them. Um, so yeah, so I continued with my career at CCA. So, you know, kind of did what I was meant to do. But then I realized that, 
it's probably not what I want to always do. And then I may have put it out to the universe. The company went bust into liquidation. I had no, no salary, no nothing. And then um, Steve had already set up call center, so CCA, so at that point, and then I just moved over naturally to join Steve over there. And then what I found was that I wanted to be a recruiter. I liked people. I always had that, that flair around talking to people. So rather than being this person who was banging the phones, trying to bring on new business through a cold database, I just utilized the network that I had. And I just would ring those individuals, catch up as I always had done anyway, and bring my bring in business that way. So it was always about relationships and honing in on those relationships because candidates, and I and I'm I always think that people who don't believe this are wrong, that candidates, whether they are an agent, a team leader, or a senior leader, at some point are a potential to be a client. So I've always treated them that way because you know, if you're good to the people that you work with, then they'll reciprocate that back. And I've always been a believer of that. So majority of my work has always come in from that way. Um, so was with CCA for 15 years in total. Um, and then probably around 2010, I was like, I need to do something slightly different. So started international recruitment, which was kind of like the rebirth of my recruitment life, effectively. Absolutely loved it. Like, literally learned so much and then I had a passion for South Africa so it just was then all of a sudden this is my focus let me focus on SA and that's kind of where I built a huge niche around the BPO sector and then my network out there and then my network in the UK who wanted to relocate out to there as well so that's kind of how my journey began around the international piece and then Steve and Ian who um, brought me into CCA they left the business and things changed and I decided that I wanted to do something different. I wanted to work in a business that was actually um, really focused on people, as in me, um, and what I was looking for, what I was about. But I just wanted to kind of break free of the restraints of being managed, I guess, and do my own thing and spend some quality time with my family. Because I'm sure you know that when you're at work, you're at work. But I actually worked and recruitment is not nine to five. And so no. my child, like literally, you know, I, I, it sometimes really hurts me to have to, to repeat it. But when she was 15, she literally used to say to me, my family was the um, after school club because she would always be in after school. So that really hurt me. So mm. when that happened, I thought, that's it. I need to do something different. So I left CCA after 15 years and thought I was going to do something completely different and a bit lifestyle which was food and drink, because I love to eat, love to drink. And it was all about kind of working in that sector. That didn't pan out, unfortunately. The guy who I was going to work with, um, he just didn't have the money to pay me. So all I could do was go back and do what I knew and loved, which was recruitment. So that's where BA Francis Consulting kind of sprung about. Uh, it, it's a it's just a lot to unpack there. I love it though. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, but I, I love the kind of, there's a common thread running all the way through that. And that is, you know, trying to find that you're adaptable. You fall, you initially, right? You Like a lot of us, you fall into things and find that you're good at it. But underneath that, underpinning it all is this um, appreciation of people, whether they are the candidates that you're placing or the customers initially in retail and in the call center that you're interacting with. But I, I just love that ethos and it's borne out well for you, right? That a Absolutely. candidate who might start off as an agent, it, if you treat them well and you look after them, doesn't matter regardless of the, of the title, because guess what? Those people have then gone on to 
you've stayed through their career. I love that because it's 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 my journey, you know, agent, team leader, contact center manager, head of, director, you know, and then that for you to be there alongside people, helping them do that must be a must be a great feeling. Yeah, because it, it feels like I've been on such a journey with some of them as well. So I've seen when they, you know, they've got married, they've had their children, you know, whatever scenario they've been through, I've been on all of those journeys. So I am a recruiter, but I'm also, and I, I don't know if the word friend is right to use in every single situation, but they can always phone me and say, B, this is happening in my life. You know, so if I'm if I'm not, I'm not ignoring you, or what advice would you give? So I've always been that kind of um, like safety belt for everyone they'll just ring me about everything and I, I I don't mind that I like that because people buy people and as far as I'm concerned the, the industry we're in is a people-centric industry and it shouldn't be just about what that person can do for you at that one particular time it should be a natural thing that we're always doing things for people all the time I've, I've always been a believer of that I love that the other thing as well that really kind of hit me and resonated was about your your daughter because I think now, I, I had children young, my older children, I think would probably, they're, they're both like 19, early 20s, and then I've got two stepdaughters and a, a daughter under the age of, all three of them under the age of 15, and I like to think I'm a bit more present for them now than I might have been for the older two, because work's, work's changed, but it must be. It must have been so hard to hear that. And I do have a question. I'm not just rambling. Um, do you think the pandemic and the fact that we've all had to work from home will change us for the better? So maybe other people coming to become parents won't have to go and do what we did. Absolutely. So I started working from home in 2016. So the pandemic and working from home was my new was my normal anyway. Right. Um, so that. That for me, from a parenting perspective, my daughter was obviously older at that point, but it just meant, like you say, I was present. So I was always at home, dinner was always cooked and we could always then take time out to have those conversations because I think we go to work for our families. Yeah. What's the point in going to work for your family if the only time you spend with them is when you go on holiday? So, yeah. you know, and that has been a real big positive shift for me. But the pandemic, like you, you mentioned that a little while ago, I didn't even realize, even though I'm working from home and I'm, you know, kind of still living this great family lifestyle, I didn't even realize that I'm still not really present. I'm not mm. actually there. So the pandemic, like most people, was a bit of a panic for me as in, oh, my gosh, where's my revenue going to come in from? And, you know, all those panic things. And then after a week, I was like, there's nothing I can do to control this. So let me kind of like look at where I am, my life. And I literally just switched off from work, literally switched off, worked on myself and then I started to then invest in myself, but also my child, but also because I'm a grandmother now as well. So invest in my grandchild, but actually look, took the time to focus on, I can't do anything about what's going on externally. So let me improve what's going on around me. So we would go off and explore and do things I didn't even know were even in my area. I mean, I've lived in my house for like 20, lived in the house for 24 years. And I didn't realize I had a pond not far from me and just <laughs> random things yeah. that you just never, you know, which I'm so, I'm so grateful for. But yeah. I just felt disappointed that I hadn't experienced those places before. So it, the pandemic for me was a real eye opener, real eye opener. It's mad, isn't it? It's, I mean, how many people live in capital cities and haven't done <laughs> any of the tourist things, let alone stuff on your own front door? But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> It's great to be able to go go and explore. You, you mentioned something as well about kind of putting things out into the universe. Is that 
Is that been important to you in your career, this kind of like affirmations and are you a believer in that kind of thing? So I didn't even realise, so I, um, like most people in sales, so I had a time when I was like absolutely blooming, it was going amazingly well. Then it started to kind of be mediocre. And then I went on, um, it was an event in Canary Wharf and it was just like a three day, it was like an American type, you know, where you're running around going, really excited, but I loved it. And I came yeah. to the office like, and everyone's looking at me to say, be kind of like, like what's taken over you? But it really shifted the way I the way I operated and I kind of then you know the normal you don't do it very often so it disappeared but then the last two to three years I've been really focused on the law of attraction manifestation gratitude appreciation all of those things and everything I think is we put it out to the universe and it comes so I'm not sitting here saying that I'm a preacher or anything like that but what I am is I'm I appreciate appreciate and I'm grateful for everything that happens in my life whether it's good or bad there's a reason and a lesson behind it. So when the pandemic hit, of course, as I said, panic. But then I put it out there saying, look, I just need, I need guidance as to what I need to do. So for me, it was taking that time out, relaxing with the family. I had a house sale that had just gone through before we went into official lockdown. So I was trying to manage that and move house and everything else. But everything happened at the right time for me. So I was truly grateful for the time out. And I know that there was a lot of serious things that took place during that time and people unfortunately lost their lives but I was grateful for what I was able to do in that time and support people and reach out to people I haven't spoken to for ages but yeah the law of attraction for me is huge and it's something that I do every single day. I'm relative latecomer to that kind of the concept of um, positive affirmations and, and gratitude being a part of your daily routine um, but now I'm kind of like quite evangelical about it because I just think it, even if you don't see it manifest itself in actual things, it just gives you a better frame of mind. Absolutely. Um, and that, and I think because we're predisposed generally to be, oh, neg- you know, not maybe even not even negative, but on the more negative side and neutral. And then the moment you start thinking, they're not always the best of thoughts. I think that that kind of getting into the habit. So I, I, you know, I have this thing written on my whiteboard where I just, when I come into this room to work, that's one of the first things I do is just repeat that a few times in my head, mm-hmm. and it's it's made me feel better. I, you know, there's, yeah. it's it's I keep it as simple as simple as that. So it's interesting to hear that this quite early on, it sounds in your career, has been a um, a factor. Absolutely, but I I think the last two three years I focus on it way more than. I think it's probably because I've had more time to as well, but I, I appreciate everything. And I didn't realize like we take everything for granted so much. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing is, we, and we're not grateful for it at all. So no. I'm now grateful for everything. That's great. <laughs> that is great. I, um, I want to ask you about something like a, you always seem to be quite adaptable in that story about your career. It's kind of, okay, this happened, then I did this, and then I tried that. And I love that because it's just about trying things and not having those kind of regrets. But I wanted to ask you about what you've noticed or why the niche of um, South Africa and how important is it for people maybe looking to go out on their own to have that, have a niche? So I think my niche, it happened accidentally in terms of being South Africa because that was just kind of where my main focus was, but I still folk, I still recruit in Europe and I'm doing so much more so at the moment rather than South Africa, Philippines, I've recruited in Thailand, the US. So th- it was just that that was a focus 
for a long time and it, I still will re recruit there because I've built a huge network there, but I still do those other locations. But I think what the reason why it was important for me to focus on South Africa at that particular point was because mm. it was growing. It was a huge market. Um, we didn't know enough about it. And there were people who were working out there and we probably knew nothing about them. We kind of fell over them, if that made sense. Yeah. So it was important for me to understand, well, why are they a better um, base for call centers to go and set up? And what was it? What was the appeal to the clients doing so? So I understood that. And South Africans are absolutely phenomenal. They're such brilliant people and they work so hard. Um, so I understand that. But it, they also, you know, some of the clients I work with, even though they've got a huge labor force, they give so much back to those individuals as well. So it's not just about it being cost effective. The actual advisors or the manager, the leaders are getting something back from working for the, the organizations because it's tough living in places like South Africa. So we take mm -hmm. for granted living here. And if we can't work or whatever the situation, we're all typically covered. But in SA, it's not like that. So people are so grateful to go to work until payday. And then they're literally off shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and that's what I really liked. And as I said, it was for me, it was because I knew and still do know a lot of people in England. So if a client said, this is the brief, this is the job, I probably wouldn't even need to advertise. It would be literally... I know the five people I'm going to send because I've been speaking to them over the last three months. So this just gave me the opportunity to stretch myself. And it just, I just enjoyed it. So I still like recruiting in the UK. Well, I love it, in fact, but it just gave me an opportunity to grow. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think um, having worked abroad myself in call and contact centres, it's it's only beneficial to your like education and your growth, like learning and developing your mind because you see different things, you see different ways of working, um, that kind, and it's it's nice to come back and kind of break down lazy perceptions. You know, I think there are some lazy perceptions of um, global call centres for sure, um, and you you must you must see that yourself. Absolutely, I mean the perception is perception until reality kicks in, right? So yeah. you know it. I think we've all, so my perception of what a call centre was back in 1997, which I have to say quite quietly, you know, it literally was what I'd seen on TV. So obviously then I started to go around call centres. So until you're in it and you understand it, you, you know, reality, like you say, is perception. So I just think everyone should see what it's like because it's so different. And mm. most people anywhere else in the world are so humble in terms of wanting to work in the industry. Yeah. See it as a an opportunity rather than well I haven't got the option to kind of do anything else so let me just do a call center role they 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 you know I've seen people in interviews or in um, sessions where they're just so grateful just to even have the experience to even have the opportunity to interview for a role. Is it still possible for um, for people to relocate internationally? So it's tough so that's that hit me the most uh, uh, obviously during Covid so all my international recruitment pretty much went on hold in South Africa, there was um, some trouble quite recently. So that also kind of put a bit of a spanner on, on things. But South Africa, so there are still opportunities over there. However, the government obviously wants the local uh, local, local talent to be focused on, on being hired rather than international. So yes, there's still opportunities for relocation. So I'm recruiting in Spain and um, Poland and Germany at the moment and they all are open to people coming in internationally so maybe not so much SA but in Europe are definitely open to it. Because you're still doing UK recruitment as well do you 
do you find different um, geographical locations have different things that they desire in candidates or are, are there more generalizations and different uh, similarities rather than differences? Similarities, I would definitely say. So really? do, uh, do you mean UK as in like Scotland versus London as an example? Well, just, um, well, it's just you say in Spain, Poland, and you, I know you still do UK um, recruitment. Are the candidates that are required in any kind of role in those locations, do they differ in kind of we we need someone like this or we need someone like that or typically the same. The only the only thing which is an exception is typically language. So if you're you know so a client of ours is looking for someone who speaks German and Lithuanian, I'm like wow you know challenge trying to find those languages. But yeah, challenges typically languages. But believe it or not, they're out there. So, you know, it just takes yeah. a little while to find them. So that's probably the biggest challenge is finding the language expectations. But typically, skill set wise, it's the same as the UK. What about for prospective, well, candidates out there right now in our in our industry, um, with your with your kind of expert eye, are there things that frustrate you when you see either people on LinkedIn or when candidates send in applications, you think, oh, you're letting yourself down or I wish you'd have done X. I think one of the things that frustrates me and because I, I don't advertise as much as I used to because I already know some of the CVs I'm going to get in my yeah. and they And I know uh, there's no point in me even opening the CV because they don't even <laughs> yeah. match the brief. And yeah. I think that is a bit of a frustration, not just for me, but for every recruiter. It's because I think I've actually, I sometimes pick up the phone and say, look, you're applying for all of these roles. Your skill set isn't even relevant. And by doing that, what you're doing is, is you're giving yourself a little bit of a bit of a negative um, perception from us as recruiters, because if you're applying for a job that's say 35K, then you're applying for a job that's 50K and then they're 1800, there's no real yeah. reality around it. You know, so I'm giving that as a, an example. There are obviously more intricate um, examples I can give, but that's an example. So mm. it's, it's frustrating, though, because we get bashed a lot because obviously we're not as customer centric as we'd like to be, even though we all try our best to reach out to every person who reaches out to us. But it is really difficult. And also the amount of CVs that come in at times, there's a huge amount. And what I find is that if a job spec says A, B and C, people, most people probably won't even have A and B and C but they're still selling the CVs, and it's really difficult because then they then I find that people then calling and emailing saying I want feedback on my CV or I sent my CV 35 seconds ago can we have a catch up about it and when you're really manic and your client is challenging and saying as an example that we need CVs by this date and it's this specific sometimes it's really difficult to kind of reach back out to people so I always kind of put an evening inside and send emails saying thank you but unfortunately not but then it's when they respond back, which to be fair, they have every right to be because you want to know why, why am I not right for a job? Like I'm taking the time to send my CV to you. Why am I not right? So I totally understand why feedback is absolutely critical and I try and give it. But sometimes, you know, on the other side of things, what happens is where we engage with candidates and we can't get hold of them. So they say recruiters ghost us. We, we get ghosted too by clients and also by candidates as well. So it's a real mix, but obviously that's not highlighted as much as candidates being ghosted by recruiters. No, I think the recruitment bashing when I see it, just to be honest, it bores me because I don't, it's, it's a, again, I use that word, it's a lazy headline. It's not true. I think in that example you've just described when if people are sending in speculative application CVs that aren't relevant and like you say, if they if it's asking for ABC, 
they don't they may, barely have C, but they send it in anyway. But then ask you're you're not there to you're you're there to fill a role, right? And Absolutely. you're not there, you're not necessarily there to um, coach people in how to do things, how to do applications better, or give that kind of that kind of feedback. So I think the onus is actually on the people um, looking for roles, like you say, to make it specific, to do some of the to do some of the work. And in my experience, if you even if you're internally recruiting for positions, it's tough and it's tough to be able to give specific feedback every time because you're conscientious and you want to, to help people that maybe haven't got the role. So I can imagine on scale across multiple roles, that's difficult to, um, to, to, manage. to manage. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It really is. But, but then I will say it's not, it's difficult to manage if you've got to give specific feedback, but to send a note just saying, thank you, but unfortunately yes. not, I, I don't, that, that shouldn't happen. That should be a norm. It shouldn't be difficult to send that because I do mine manually, but there are automated systems, you know, to say thank you for applying for the role, but unfortunately not. So I, you know, when people say, well, I don't even get a, a, a response, whether that's internal or from a recruiter, yeah, I find some, that's difficult. I find that yeah, difficult. That's not good. I want to pivot now slightly to something that um, I know you're really interested in. You're going to start talking about um, publicly. It's definitely a topic that I'm interested in and um, listeners of the podcast have always shown an interest in, and that's kind of diversity and inclusion. What this, is it a relatively new kind of, um, you know, diversion for you? What, can you talk about that? Absolutely. So it's new in terms of, I guess, me being public about it, but it hasn't been new because it's always been ingrained in my DNA effectively. So what I've found over the years is that there are organisations who want to hire people of colour or women or whatever that specification is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I find that I actually get called by recruiters, especially as I've been independent, saying, as an example, do you know any black females who may be able to do X, Y and Z? And of course I do, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got a huge network. And so I'll help them out in those ways Then I've got. a specific BAME recruiters who are who are connected to me as well so they reach out to me for advice and things like that so I've, I've been doing it kind of off the cuff for a number of years and I've always enjoyed doing it and if I can help I've, that's kind of always been my way if I can help then I'll go out of my way to help but then I was thinking with the whole when George Floyd kicked off everything kind of just shifted the whole world shifted around okay so let's have more presence of people of color on tv as an example or in the workplace let's put together our um diversity and inclusion strategies all of a sudden so it's become like this big thing but it was always there but just may have not been implemented in the right way so i've always been a real i guess wave the flag for people of color and especially women especially in business and because this is my sector in recruitment and contact center so i wave the flag from that perspective so i um have kind of been looking into how do i go about utilizing the skills the experiences that i do in order to support organizations so that's the route that i'm taking i'm, I'm passionate about it because you know someone said to me well who else can who else better to raise the flag about a black woman than a black woman who knows what she's talking about so that's partly why I decided to take that route but also what that does is it allows me to still do what I love which is recruitment but also have a a different string to my bow so it could be Monday Tuesday Wednesday I'm doing recruitment and then Thursday Friday it's diversity and inclusion so I've always kind of given myself the bandwidth to do lots of things which kind of work and and slot together quite nicely 
but it just also gives me the opportunity to help or there are other people as well because a client I've been speaking to recently they're they're thinking about recruiting a number of you know and I have to be color specific here but black people because yeah. they just mm. don't have enough black people in their business and the one of the conversations I had was well it's interesting because you know recruitment is what I do I can go out and find you black people you know if their names are on you know if their pictures are on LinkedIn but there obviously there are other ways of going out and identifying those individuals so I thought what a brilliant challenge what an amazing challenge but it just also means that I've just have some credibility when I'm having conversations with those individuals about why the organization is doing this the value that that brings but the benefit is to them as well so it's speaking from someone who's in the same situation as them than somebody who probably doesn't understand where they're coming from but also what that means is I can actually shape things as well. So in terms of if these individuals join an organization and they're not right, or they, sorry, they, they interview for an organization and they're not right, they're part of a uh, community that I can actually start building, but also they can be mentored. There's all sorts of things that, that can spring from that going forward as well. So I, I just want to do something that's really, really different that can actually help, I suppose, escalate people who need to be supported to, to bring because it is about numbers in some companies, mm. but also some people are just really, really keen just to make sure that the talent they bring in is the right talent. So it may not necessarily be a woman, may not be a person who has a disability or a person of color, it's the right people, but I need to try and find those individuals ideally who kind of meet that brief as well. Well, firstly, more, more power to you. I think it's great. It's great to hear that kind of um, flag waving, um passionate person about wanting to elicit change I would like to count myself in that but I think what I love about what you've just said is I can see as being a um a, a leader within a company and also having this podcast I would be drawn to you because I think you'd be able to help address something that I maybe I'm being naive but I think generally a, a majority want to see work and role models and people in senior roles that better reflect society. And that means women, people of color, disabilities, far more than people like me, right? Middle-aged white guys. Um, but I don't know if they always know A, where to start. And I think sometimes they're nervous about uh, offending people. Absolutely. And some of that is about language terms. Some of it is about how to do it. And for someone like yourself, credible expert can help people achieve that, right? That that in a in a very in a very practical sense, which sometimes is the easiest thing for people to fall back on, which is I I'm I want to do, I want things to be better. Tell me how. Absolutely. Absolutely, I agree. And I want that because the thing is, is we talk about diversity all the time, but then we go, oh my God, like how do I address her? And and that's what I don't like is, but you know, one of my the one of the things that happened to me when I was um in a recruitment business years ago was um people didn't I'm quite a strong and and very I'll say what I feel effectively. Mm -hmm. People didn't didn't say they didn't like me because I was strong or I was good at what I did or whatever it was where I annoyed them. They didn't like me because I was black. Mm. and the thing was was like well how can you not like me because I'm black my skin color may be slightly different to yours but I'm exactly the same so the issue wasn't who I was it was my skin color and that used to just annoy me the, the problem I also found is because you know you can kind of normally pick up as well if someone doesn't 
there's a there's something that's not sitting right with that with somebody in particular you can see that but because they don't outrightly call you a name or say something you know discriminatory it's um it's really interesting but you know it and that's really quite difficult to work with as well because you know that behind closed doors they're saying probably whatever they want to about you and you can't address that in any way and I find that really, I found that difficult to work in an organization and know that that was going on and I couldn't address it. Mm. So I'd like to be, again, the, the person who is, is, is going to be an influencer in that in organizations because it's, it's not right. It's unfair. That's, you know, there's, there's no, nothing else to say, but it's unfair. It's not, it's not for a person to grow. Then you need to have support around you and not feel that there's something holding you back. My color shouldn't hold me back. That's always been my view. Completely agree, and I, I, I kind of went through this change after work. I worked in um, Istanbul for a couple of years, and I think labels and generalization. And I would, I love the people who I worked with, made me feel so welcome. Within a within a few days, I didn't really. I was very open minded anyway, but within a few days, what I thought about. Uh, the culture of Turkey and how people might work completely shattered and I was learning about how they worked and seeing so much great things and then I would come back to the UK and sit in meetings with very senior people who talked so poorly of my colleagues that just without any knowledge without ever having spent any time with them or ever having worked there and I, I found it infuriating and, and later on found my voice. And I think once that once that happened, even even now, I think if you're prepared to call people out and have challenging, you know, polite conversations where we where we all respect each other, but nonetheless have challenging conversations, because I think a lot of the time we're fighting against media, but uh, uh, quick thinking where you just generalize people based on certain characteristics and that and there straight away is the danger because it's you know whether it's refugees and you've got politicians saying them or th those people over there are the cause of our problems and people buy into it and then it starts seeping into our own society I think that's where we have huge huge challenges so people like you who are making a positive difference that's 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 what gives me hope that we are going to we are going to get there and we are a progressive society it doesn't always feel like it but i really do maybe i'm like i say being naive or an optimist but as long as we keep challenging i think we will get there i agree totally agree where where would what would you recommend this is a huge question but where would you recommend people start if they they just want to educate themselves as to do they start with people's experiences who are not like them and say, what is your, what has your life been like? So if, so what do you mean, is it on an individual basis or a company basis? Uh, well, whichever you prefer to answer first. So, so interestingly, so going back to when George, George Floyd, um, the whole incident happened there, there was obviously a huge uproar everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I decided to share my story on Facebook. So I was, my father was in the army. I won't go into lots of detail. But my father was in the army, traveled around a lot, but I grew up in Yorkshire, which was predominantly white. Mm -hmm. um, and I had like some absolutely amazing friends. Then I actually shared my story. And even though 
a lot of my friends have been um, my friends, close friends for years. They didn't even realize just the impact on the situation, the, the racism I faced um, growing up. They were just absolutely bemused, even though they were by my side and they were absolutely bemused by it. And, and what I found was I was getting lots of questions and and even now, like I, I got a, a question from someone saying, well, how do I speak to my daughter? Because my, my daughter's mixed race about this. How do I speak to my daughter about a particular subject? So so what it, what for me, what happened was when I wrote about it, it just made other people aware of the situation, but they felt that they could actually approach me about it. And I don't know if it was a case of maybe we shouldn't say anything because I don't want to you know, upset her or ask it in this way. But now, like literally, there's always something coming through. How do I tackle this situation? Or B, you know, when you did this or this happened, like what did you do to kind of tackle that? Or how are you, because my daughter isn't, she, my daughter needs to kind of grow up and understand, you know, how, what I went through to be able to raise her son and things like that. So I'm always ask, answering questions because if we don't answer questions, people will never learn and people will never grow. So one of the things that used to really hurt me as a child was being called colored because mm. I'm not the color of a rainbow, I'm actually black. Yeah. Mm. But then my grandson came home, interestingly from nursery the other day. And um, he said, oh, the lady at nursery said, I'm not black, I'm not black. And then he started trying to like wipe his, um, his skin. And I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, it was just, you know, just things like that. So it's, um, I just think talk, ask questions because no one's ever afraid if you feel nervous about asking a question I would always say write it down first reread it to yourself and then ask the question because then you'll have confidence in it and just say look if you feel if I'm, I'm wording it incorrectly please let me know how how I need to address this but can you help with this I, I guarantee there's not one person who wouldn't want to help I just think that because because a lot of people think that especially they say they used to say about me that I'm really hard like really hard and like I'm unapproachable which is the absolute opposite of, of who I am I'm probably and my friends say it all the time I'm the person who cares the most about everyone else and less about myself <laughs> so it's crazy <laughs> again it's that word about perception isn't it someone said um uh this football thing I organized on a Sunday someone said um you're nothing like I expected when I saw you. You, I thought you were a thug because I've got no hair. I'm a skinhead. I've, I've shaved my head. Um, and he said, "You're you're really really nice." And it was like, isn't it? Aren't we funny as humans? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. just he he built this picture up as to how I was, how he thought I was going to talk, uh, how I conducted myself, my behaviour, everything, my education, just everything based on a, a glimpse of me you know, in shorts and a t-shirt playing football. So <laughs> it's, it, it, it is funny. How, how did your friends though, in that situation, did they, did they contact you and say they just weren't aware and they're sorry? What, how, how did they react? Oh gosh, like I, I think I cried for days like after really? because it was like literally be like, well, they, they called me Bruce back then because everyone called me Bruce Lee for some random reason. But, um, <laughs> but they literally like they, so as an example, there was an example where um, I'd like I'd literally go to school every day and there'd be situations where I, I had to fight every day, unfortunately, because I, my mum brought me up as not a thug. My mum brought me up as you need to protect yourself. You need to be strong and confident and let nobody walk all over you. So imagine being 12 or 13 and like every single day I'd go to school and people would call me all kinds of horrible things every single day. And my mum was like, well, there's no way on earth 
that you can just accept that. So as a younger child, I was actually fine. It was when I went into, into secondary school that it was actually really bad. And so I'd end up having fights every single day because there was always someone who thought they could call me something else and everyone would laugh at me. And it was just, it was awful. Like it was actually awful. And um, we'd, so one of my friends used to say, yeah, cause we used to call you Bruce cause you were always fighting like Bruce Lee because I like literally, so it's stuck and obviously Bruce being my name. So I used to fight all the time. So obviously the, there was a perception there that I was a bit of a, a rebel because I was always fighting, but then actually most people knew the only reason I used to fight was, was, to, defect, was to defend my color and then defend my brother who was younger. And then our family friends who moved to the area. So I was kind of always fighting for us always. And I remember a time I went home from school and mom said, how was it today? I said, oh, mom, I said, you're not gonna believe this. She, got, she said, well, what happened? She said, I said, I got called in front of the headmaster because, oh God, so we were, I hate this one. So we were actually in um, a geography class, which was my worst lesson. And I clearly didn't pass that at all. And um, back then we had TVs and they put a video on of something to do with Africa. And there was always something happening. Someone would always turn around and look at me. And then this particular instance, this guy turned around, looked at me because they showed a monkey on the TV. And I was just like, I was horrified. I was like, oh my God, we're in the middle of a class. And this time I was like, it's not acceptable. So we just end up having a huge, huge like scuffle in the class. Then I went to the headmaster and stood out in front of the headmaster's office. And obviously he stood there as well. Now I didn't get into trouble, but I should have because actually I instigated the fight because of what he'd, he'd done and obviously I explained to the teacher and I went home and I was really really upset I told on the situation she was just like you did what was right like don't ever think that you didn't but obviously that's again was something that was like everyone used to talk about it throughout the whole of my school life because it was something that was really significant so all the other fights were not relevant it was this one because it was in a classroom where this guy had seen a monkey on tv looked at me and it all kicked off from there so there were some real, real challenges I had as a, as a youngster, but I can't tell you, like, if I hadn't had those experiences, I would not be who I am today. So even though they were not great, I'm absolutely thankful for them because you know what, at the time they were horrific, but that would never happen to my family or, or anyone that I know. And I, you know, help them through it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, it we have to be annoyed by stuff like we uh, it makes my blood boil and i as an empath i think in my heart just any any child person adult whatever who has to deal with things like that that has to be our goal as a society that we we are in a place where people just can conduct it whether it's women going running or walking home from places at night without being harassed or attacked or children suffering from um being subjected to racist abuse in school i can't it's we have to be upset by this and we have to do we have to do something about it the goal has to be that we we all get to enjoy our life as it is life's tough enough without without this um absolutely so th thank you for sharing and thanks for actually being a fantastic role model and just trying to do trying to do something about it i'd love to um talk to you more about how how i can help how we can all we can all do more because i think that's the thing from um from george floyd when when that happened i i actually was really pleased that every company i knew our company every company was 
not yeah forced by the people that worked for in the company by saying you need to tell us what your view is as a company on this you know we we sent out a, an email and had um, discussion groups and, and things like that but i love the fact that it was kind of because i think previously it would have been well it, we're a company this is a business we don't need to reference something that's happening in in society because we have a diversity and inclusion policy we're doing all we can blah 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 this was such a seminal moment that um you know specifically about the black lives matter movement and george floyd what 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 do you as our company leaders say about this mm -hmm. and i love that i loved it but you know it actually i think made us stronger as a company um and it galvanized people to say yeah we we can't we need to up the pace absolutely we we need to get better and quicker and and more aggressive in our response to these these travesties that have gone on for um for so long do you think you'll find that you'll just be get, you'll get so passionate about this that you'll end up doing no recruitment <laughs> probably <laughs> no i you know i always have to do a bit of recruitment because i've i've 25 years I've been a recruiter now so I have to continue doing it I think there'll always be something that I do because even when I say I'm going to try and move away and do something different it always creeps back in always and I think that's just part of my DNA now and I'm, and I'm proud to be a recruiter I, I have to say it because we've, I've learned so much from our industry and the people within our industry so I don't you, I can't just walk away from that completely at all are you with with getting close to a challenge for time i'd love to have you come back on and talk some more about this if that's okay um but are you open for companies and individuals to to contact you if they've listened to to this podcast and want to talk to you more about it absolutely no if no ifs and buts i love it i love to talk about it, it, it it's important that we talk about it because it's the only way we get change i, I love that bruce and francis thank you very much for coming on and uh, sharing and as I said, more power to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.